God is good. Amen. <clears throat> We're going to make it. We're going to get through. Hallelujah. You know, there, there's, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 we're finally getting some of the snow that we're supposed to get in this area. So that's, uh, I think it's a good thing. Not, not just because I, I do love snow. I think it's pretty and stuff. I get tired of it just like everyone else. But, you know, the change in the seasons helps us. God designed the change in the seasons for this area to be just what they're supposed to be. And so praise God for it, you know. And uh, so uh, as, as we look for those changes and all that they produce, you know, they give us just the right things in this area. Amen. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Well, I'm so thankful that you got here tonight. Um, uh, we got here too. We came over. We didn't know. We wouldn't know if we were going to make it today or tomorrow, just because some of the cars were going so slow ahead of us. We're like, you know, it's always that time when you start getting snow. It's like everybody forgot what it was like to drive in the snow. And uh, but praise the Lord, we got here anyways. And you know, I can get, be a little bit more bold, I guess, because I have four wheel drive. Although I got around in some cars that were pretty, pretty awful over the years. You know, uh, some cars I probably shouldn't have been driving. Uh, they they make laws against these kinds of cars now. You can't even drive some of the cars I drove, but uh, not legally, anyways. You can't license them and stuff. But glory to God. Well, tonight's message is called "Are You Okay?" Amen. And. We're going to be talking about some. Uh, we're going to be talking about some interesting things, but you know, it's, we're going to be talking about how we connect to God and, and direction of God and stuff. And I don't, I, I don't want to get into it too much ahead of time. We'll just kind of jump right off into it. So let's turn to Proverbs twelve fifteen. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. We here tonight. Yeah. Glory to God. It's a good, good question just to check up on our on our spiritual pulse. You know. Yeah. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. You know, it was when I was uh, in Africa, it was interesting because those the people there, they're very uh, demonstrative in their, their rejoicing and their, and their praise and their worship. And I mean, like exuberant, they're like over the top. Actually, and some sometimes it can borderline go into wrong actions and you know, dance moves that aren't really good and stuff like that. You know, but they're really, really into it, and it's just lively, and it goes on and on and on, and it's very, very loud. And but then when you get, as soon as you get the minister in the pulpit to minister the word, it's dead silent. I mean, it's quieter than Corey, Pennsylvania. It just gets quiet, quiet, quiet. Amen. And, you know, one of the things I, I'm really thankful for that I was taught is just what my wife was exhorting us on, you know, uh, is, is that... Um it is that exhortation, you know, it's that, that ability to, to speak out and praise God even when we don't necessarily feel it or whatever and, and kind of stir that up within us, you know. And that's a really good thing for us to do. And so, you know, you hear us talk about it a lot. At some point, maybe you'll jump in on it because it's really good for you, amen. But uh, I know that it's easy to be quiet and I'm, I'm not exactly, uh, when it comes to praise and worship, I'm not exactly an overly expressive person myself. But I have Found that there's a good uh, good aspect of jumping into that, amen. And it, it definitely helps knock off some of that religious, uh, you know, that religious, the religious crumbles, you know, the the crumbles that stick to you, like the like the calluses or the the flaky religious skin so to speak, you know what I mean? When you praise God, you can just kind of knock some of that stuff. You can exfoliate. That's what it is. It's spiritual exfoliation, right? 
Praise God. Hallelujah. And I, I don't know if anyone else has taught on that, but I think I'm going to claim it here tonight. Amen. Spiritual. Let's have exercises and spiritual exfoliation. Amen. And get some of that gunk off of us so we can get down to the new stuff and, and, and feel things again. Amen. Because that's what that does. You know, when we get that, 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 when we allow ourselves to just get, you know, so solemn and, uh, you know, we, what, what we do is we, we, we actually start getting really religious. That's what religious people do. That's why a lot of religious places die. Amen. Because that's not what God, God uh, intended. God intended joy. And, 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 and uh, you know, I, I always go back to this because especially lately after I've been learning this about the word of God that, you know, the word of God was really intended to be a, ri a, re a red, it's written, but it's read aloud is what it was intended for. And you think about that. In fact, the way that it's written, if you, if you look in the Greek and the Hebrew, I was reading one, one particular scripture today in Isaiah. I actually thought I might actually preach on it, but all the stuff I was reading, I was like, I could spend 10 messages on just that stuff. So it wouldn't have worked to just bring it into a message. But it was, uh, but it was, it was. There was a commentary I was reading about this, uh, the one phrasing of it, and we see it in our English Bibles as as uh, a certain way, you know, and we read it, and it might not make complete sense to us, but we just probably figure that it's part of the translation or whatever, and it really is because the way it was read was actually um, the, the the words that were used were kind of it was kind of poetic, and it was kind of like this form of uh, of uh, it was actually a form of mockery as what. It it was but the way that it was spoken was kind of in that flow there was like a flow to it you know has anyone ever heard of spoken word spoken word it's a it's a, it's a, a form of poetry or uh, not necessarily poetry but it's like when someone speaks live and they they kind of flow with it you know there's a flow but that's the way the Bible is and so there's a lot of things in scripture that are like that when you look into actually Genesis 1 is an example of that where it, uh, I think it's around where it says the, uh, the earth was without form and void the words are tohu and bohu I don't know if it's that's the exact placing of them because I haven't studied it recently but you know tohu and bohu they rhyme that's Hebrew words they they actually rhyme and and that's because that was part of the the pattern you know uh, you, you know and, and and that kind of in in um uh, you know, we think of entertainment a lot that way, that there's a lot of, there's patter, you know, like I, I used to be really, uh, I used to really like uh, magic, you know, magicians, sleight of hand, stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I was trying to learn some for a while and I learned a little bit. I could show you a trick if you want. But, uh, um, you, you know, the, the, the magic tricks, one of the things they talk about when they're teaching somebody magic is equally important to knowing the trick is having a, they call it a patter, a way of speaking. Uh, and you'll notice that if you've ever heard a magician or illusionist or anything like that, what are they generally doing? They're, they're talking. And, and sometimes in mo some modern things, they've figured out how to do it without talking, but it's still something that keeps you engaged. And the talking keeps you engaged, it keeps you listening, and keeps you paying attention to what they want you to pay attention to, yeah. which is why they can pull the tricks and do things on you that you're not necessarily expecting, amen? So we understand that as far as entertainment and stuff goes, but there's a reason that that works that way is because God has designed us to work that way, yeah. that, 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 that we would be able to, 
you know, partake of, of different kinds of events like that, uh, poetry, things like that. God used poetry throughout the Bible where it's not just, you know, it's not just words that are written, but they are written in such a way that make it interesting. Amen. And so when God did all that, expecting that the word would be read, amen, and we know that a word is to be spoken, the word, word means something that's spoken, right? It's something that, that, that comes out. And so it's not just uh, uh, something that is, uh, you know, just on a page, but it's something that can be spoken. And so we understand that. And there's a lot, of course, the Bible talks about with speaking and so on and so forth. But, but God has, has designed his book that way on purpose. I can't even remember why it got to this point. But, uh, you know, he, he designed his book to work that way on purpose in our lives. And so that it would become more of a, like a living thing. You know, and that's really what that is. When you go watch a performance, nobody's going to sit and watch a performance where just somebody is, you know, if somebody's doing a, uh, there's some performances where somebody will just like sit perfectly still for like hours and hours and hours. You might watch for a minute or two, but then you're going to move on and somebody else is going to come in. But performance is always, you know, there's action. I'm not saying that the word uh, uh, is, is a performance or preaching the word is a performance performance per se but when we understand that God's word in us causes us to perform it causes us to do something there's an outflow from the spirit from the word in us that comes out in action amen if it doesn't then his word isn't being effective in our lives or we're not allowing it to be effective in our lives. And so that's why people get dried up. We hear about, you know, the first United Frozen Chosen, the churches that, you know, they can't, you know, they, God forbid that you stand up and praise the Lord out loud or raise your hand in worship or make any kind of movement at all when you worship. You know, there's, uh, there's this meme that shows this uh, Luke Skywalker uh, uh, in, in with this, you know, it's Mark Hamill in his latter years with a, with a stern face. And this is a particular group. I'm not going to mention the name. This is this is a particular group, religious group, enjoying worship, and they're just solemn and straight-faced, and they, you know, and that's it. It's so funny. I remember years ago, uh, praise the Lord, you might not think I'm going anywhere, but I am, I promise you. Uh, praise God. But years ago, I worked with this, this woman. She was a really nice woman. We actually, she was like a, a really good friend of mine, and in work, you know, it was that, that kind of thing. Um, and it was, it was completely, you know, on the up and up and everything. It was anything wrong with it. But uh, she was, we were both, we actually had to work, we were inspectors and we had to work right next to each other. All day long, we sat next to each other. So we talked about everything. Uh, sometimes we sang, we did whatever we, you know, just to get the time to go by because the job was really boring. But we were there day in and day out doing this. And we would talk about the Lord a lot. We both kind of came back to the Lord right around the same time. And she just happened to be part of that certain denomination that I was talking about that remains unnamed here and uh, she you know one, one time she was sitting there and she was singing a hymn you know and she was singing it really dirgy like you know what I mean dirgy my wife talked about that it sounded like like Eeyore was singing it you know uh, and if you still don't know what I'm talking about well then we'll have to have another conversation later on but uh, I'm trying my best here to get it out to you you know praise God as we sit as you sit but uh, you know she was singing it really dirgy and it was a song about exalting the Lord and I was like like, do you realize what, what you're singing? And, and a lot of times, don't the hymns become that? They become like, you know, how great thou art, you know, just like that. And it's like that. 
you know, just the words there don't match up with that tone. It doesn't make sense. We should never sing that song. How great the, you know, we should just, we, we, we need to uh, allow, allow ourselves to be enlivened a little bit by the word of God. Yeah. Amen. And then for all of us, that's different steps. You know, if you take somebody like Reverend Josh here, who's more stoic in his, you know, in his appearance, it might sound a little bit different than somebody who's a little bit, who's, who we got here is really exuberant. Uh, so we'll say Melissa back there, right? So, so, so uh, you know, there, there might be a little bit difference in that, and that's okay. They're coming at it from their, but there should be something, right? And I'm not saying, you know, you don't have any. I'm just saying, that I'm using that as an example because he's easy, easy to, to see. You know, Josh is a stoic uh, type of person, but, you know, that comes out in a, a different way. And I've seen Josh excited uh, about the word of God as well. So praise the Lord for it. But, but, but there should be some reaction in us, amen, when we, when we come to the word. And, and, and that's not correction. That's just help for us to, to, to continue on. But did you find Proverbs 12 yet? Praise the Lord. Proverbs 12, verse 15. Um, it says here, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. This is a, you know, this is a scripture that, that really means a lot to me, and it means so much to me because, one, it's very active in my life. It's something that uh, the principle in it is something that, that, that is ever before me. And when I say ever before me, I don't, I'm not saying because I'm doing it perfectly all the time, but it's ever before me, sometimes reminding me of how imperfectly I'm doing things. But I keep in mind that this, that, you know, it's kind of built into me. And part of it is, it comes from a bad standpoint, you know. Um, you know, as I came through life, I kind of had a really low uh, self-esteem, self-confidence, never, never had much of that. And so I just automatically always assumed that anything I wanted to do was right or was wrong. It was going to end up wrong. It was going to end up bad. It wasn't going to work out. Amen? But um, you know, when I grew into the things of God and started learning more, you know, some of the that sometimes will will call to you and harken back to you, uh, you know, try to grab onto you. I'm not saying that it doesn't, but um, th this idea uh, is something I think of still a lot, and 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 it's that you know I, I think often that I'm probably the wrong one, even sometimes when I'm not. But the the issue that we're really talking about here is those who can't see it at all. And this is something that I find um, happens so often. Uh, I don't think it's just a church problem. I think it's a humanity issue. But, uh, you know, we, we often tend to think that if we thought of an idea, it must be a good idea. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. But I love what it says here at the second part, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. So it doesn't say that the wise man is the one who had a great idea. The wise man is the one who listens to counsel on it. The wise man isn't the one who had the great idea. The wise man is the one who has counsel on it. And, and, and that's a very important thing for us to remember. And really, when you talk about biblical submission, so you can hear a lot of people preach about biblical submission. If you hear me preach about it, what I'm talking about is in this line, in this vein of what I'm about to tell you. Um, but biblical submission is that. You know, submission is not, uh, it's not just necessarily laying down. I mean, there's a form of submission that is laying down before somebody and walking all over them. My dog, Cassie, I think I've mentioned it to you many times. She's a little, uh, what is she, a, a, a 
a York, yeah, miniature Yorkie. And so she's only about six pounds or so on a good day. Uh, right now she's got a lot of hair, so she might be a little bit more than that, 6.3 pounds or something. But whenever you walk up to her, the first thing that she does, doesn't matter if you walk into the house, the first thing she does is bark. But as soon as you walk up to her, the, first, the, the second thing she does is roll over onto her back and show you her belly. Now in a dog, that's a, that's a way of them submitting to you. They're saying, you know, you're, you're, you're bigger than me, you're master of me. I think she really does it just because she likes her belly scratch. She figured out it, it feels good, and that's a good way of getting it done. But, uh, you, you know, that's kind of what that is, is a way of submission. In it. And it kind of lowers her in, in, uh, in her, you know, a dog. Typically, it would lower a dog in their estimation. It would, yeah. it would you know, they're just, you know, they, they cower kind of. It's kind of a cowering move. But when we talk about biblical submission, it's not that kind of thing. Uh, biblical submission is not that you don't have a thought. It doesn't mean that you don't have your own mind. It doesn't mean that you don't have your own character, your own, uh, you, you know, you're not allowed to have your own ideas about things. Biblical submission is, is that you recognize this right here, that it's wise to seek the counsel of somebody else because the fool is always right in their own eyes. Amen? And that's, you can't get much more plain than that. If you're somebody who does a lot of things without counsel, you're a fool. Why? Because the Bible says it. A person who does things without counsel is a fool. Now, the counsel is a, that, that's an important part of this too. Because there's a lot of, there's people that do a lot of things with counsel, but with the wrong counsel. And so the key is learning what is right counsel and what is wrong counsel. Amen? And this is something that's up to each of us. We learn this by trial and error as you go through life. You know, a child will be uh, uh, very uh, uh, impressionable, right? Children, you can kind of convince them to do a lot of things at least once or twice. But sooner or later, kids, uh, you know, they even get smart or wise to things, generally speaking, as well. And when they learn that something is bad or hurtful, they know to stay away from it. Amen. Uh, and, and that's kind of a thing that, they, that, that we start learning at a young age. But I dare say that a lot of times we, we, we get to this place as adults where we think, well, I'm an adult. Man, I should have used the scripture. It's a scripture's in Isaiah. And it's a scripture where he says, word upon, uh, uh, no, is it line upon line, precept upon precept? Uh, uh, I can't remember exactly. Uh, I'd have to look it up later to go to it. But the, the, the whole thing was a mocking because the, the, Isaiah had been sent to correct these people. 28.10. I don't think I really want to turn. We'll go ahead and just pull it up there real quick, see if we, because I know I won't get to my message all the way. Is it this one, 28.10? Praise the Lord. Yeah, for he says, yeah, what, what's verse 11 say? We haven't read it, read it yet. I'm just kind of skimming through. Yeah, 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 it's this scripture. Go back to 2810. 20, so it says, for he says, uh, order on order, order on order, line on line, line on line. Here, a little here, a little there. Amen. And uh, this was actually, um, and I, I had to get this out of commentaries because I wasn't smart enough to figure it out myself, but this was actually, if you look at the whole context of this, this was the people that were being spoken to that Isaiah had been sent to to, to preach to these people, and uh, they, they, they were kind of mocking because they were like, basically they were looking at it like, we're, we're, we're grown people, and you're giving us correction. We don't need your correction. 
And then so what God goes on to say is that he's going he's gonna, to, basically he's going to correct these. I'm giving you the, the Jeff Michener shortened paraphrase of someone else's paraphrase. But uh, they basically went on to say that um, I, you know, through stammering lips and another tongue, I'll speak to you. I'm going to speak to these people. And what he was talking about was this, that they, uh, because they wouldn't listen to God, because they wouldn't listen to the one God sent, that he was going to send another nation that they didn't understand to attack them. And they weren't going to understand when they were attacking them what was going on. They were going to be confused and stuff like that because you want to make a joke about it, you want to make light of it kind of thing. And so, so you know, there, there's that, that, that idea there. And so, um, but, but we see that, and it's really important for us to understand that much of what's happening in Scripture is God trying to get something across to people. Yeah. And a lot of times the people aren't listening. But how many know that we can still be those people? Just because we've seen it happen to them, you know, a lot of people look at Adam and Eve and they think, oh, oh, Adam and Eve, they, they, they messed up really bad. We would all do the same thing. We might do worse, you know, a lot of times. And see, that's the thing that we have to understand. And so God, uh, God has given us, you know, and there were so many ways I actually uh, thought about going with this message when I was putting it together. And what I mean thought is, you know, when you, when you open one door, it, it reminds you of other doors, right? And so I was thinking of other scriptures, and it just wasn't good. But, but counsel is a very important thing. You can go ahead and go back to our, 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 our start-off scripture there in Proverbs 12, 15. Amen. But counsel makes us wise. And why does counsel make us wise? Because it's not the things that we're doing right that cause us problems. It's the things we're doing wrong. It's the, things that, it, it, it's the things that we can't see. And typically what we're doing wrong, typically speaking, are things that we don't know. We don't know whether it's wrong. Now there's times when someone is uh, uh, you know, purposely doing what they know is wrong, and that's a different kind of fool. We're not talking about that kind of fool. I'm talking about just standard people. People that, 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 that supposedly love the Lord, and I say supposedly because I'm assuming that they do, but they love the Lord. They want to they wanna be, uh, they, they be effective for God, but they won't receive counsel. And then this is a real issue. They won't look for counsel. This is a real issue. Because they just automatically think, well, I got this. This was my idea. I know the Holy Spirit after, uh, after all. Now, there is a truth that we can know the Holy Spirit and unction and stuff like that. But, there's not, but the Bible is over, overwhelmingly, it tells us one thing and tells us another too. We got to draw both truths in and allow uh, and and realize that God has not just you know uh, it, it's like this the the whole freedom thing. I love this. this is one of the greatest freedoms in Christ. Freedom in Christ. A lot of people have interpreted to be free for all in Christ, and what they've meant, what they take it to mean is, well, I can go sin now and be free because Christ has died for my sins. You know, the law doesn't apply to me anymore. And that's foolishness because that's exactly opposite of what the Bible tells us. The law does apply to us in the way that the law applies to us. But it doesn't just all go away. The Old Testament isn't just all thrown out now because Jesus came. Jesus didn't come to throw out the Old Testament. He even told us that. He came to fulfill it or to be able to accomplish what we couldn't accomplish in it. Yeah. Amen? That's what Jesus came to do. But, uh, you know, we get hung up on these things sometimes. We need the whole counsel of the Word of God. We need to draw from all the truths and allow those things to form our life, which is why we need somebody wiser than us. And what is somebody wiser than us? Sometimes it's a person sitting next to you. Sometimes you're that person for the person sitting next to you. 
But the point that I'm trying to make is, what is wise counsel? Where do we find wise counsel? Because wise counsel is another aspect that, that, that adds to the Word of God, the teaching of the Word of God, the studying of the Word of God, learning the Word of God. Why do we need, why do we need to go listen to a preacher preach? Because that's the way God set it up. Why? For wise counsel. Amen? Now, hopefully, when I, I minister the Word, I'm not ministering just by in my ability or my ideas or, or, or those things, but I've listened for the Lord in order to speak to God's people. And why is it sometimes, a lot of times, it's to give us a perspective that is outside of us. Because it's easy for us, when we're in our perspective, to just see that perspective. This is why I believe it's very incredibly important, especially to anybody who has called the ministry to travel outside of their comfort zone. Because until you get outside your comfort zone, you aren't going to know perspective. You know, there's a lot of people said, uh, I, I, I could never go to Africa or something like that. I just went to Africa. I, I probably would have, I wouldn't have ever said I couldn't go, but I would have never said I wanted to go. But going was, it enabled me to see a box I couldn't see before. Even though I'd been seeing many boxes already. But that perspective gave me another perspective. And if you only are ever in one little bubble, that's all you're ever going to see. And so you need something out, somebody outside of that bubble in order to help you see what you're, what you're seeing wrong inside that bubble. Because yeah. believe it or not, there's no perfect bubbles. They don't exist. They do not exist. We can look at our church as a bubble. There's no perfect bubble. You're not going to find a perfect church. There needs to be counsel from outside of that. That's why you know, I've learned to glean off of things that aren't necessarily always just what I think is right or just what I think should be. Now, it always needs to be right according to God. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that I'm going to go glean off of somebody who has... But I will tell you this, that when it comes to something that affects this natural realm that the Bible doesn't cover, I am going to seek the counsel of somebody who might be ungodly. Maybe I'll go to a doctor at some point. In fact, I did. I went to a doctor this year. The best estimation I could make is that this man was not a Christian. Amen? But he was, not, but he was knowledgeable. And I sought his wisdom. I sought his counsel because he knew more about the subject than I did. So you understand that, that, that there's a place and a time, and it's, it's good to recognize what's good counsel and what's not. Amen? Praise the Lord. This phrase came to me when I, when I looked up the scripture. Arrogance works in the minds of those who cannot see what stands before them. Arrogance works in the minds of those who cannot see what stands before them. You can't see what you can't see. And if you're content with that, you're getting full of yourself. You're getting full of arrogance. Because whatever is before you, whether it's, uh, if you haven't seen outside of that, if you haven't gotten the ability to, to, really, um, to really scrutinize, we were at an art museum, and I, um, I, I, I stopped the, the few that we were with, and I said, one thing that's interesting, we were looking at a, a sculpture, 
and you know you, you see a painting on the wall and there's paintings that, you know many different kinds of paintings on the wall uh, that, that you know you can stand there and you look at and maybe you look around a little bit or a little bit different angle maybe a step back you get in really close you know if you really want to examine it and, and some sometimes uh, if you're if you really want to if you like art you need to do that to examine it but we were standing around the sculpture it was in the middle of the room and I said one of the things about sculpture that I learned when I was making sculptures is that you know you put a two-dimensional object on the wall like a painting or a picture or whatever and you can kind of view it from pretty much the same view but when you have a sculpture it's three-dimensional now you're going to look around it and the thing about making a three-dimensional sculpture is you don't just make it interesting from one view you make it interesting from another view and another view and another view and another view why because if you can just focus on this side then when someone walks around to this side it's boring right yeah. what was interesting about this one sculpture is the way that it was set up in the room and my wife was talking about this because in the art museum there was many different kinds of rooms and uh, these rooms weren't built to hold these art pieces specifically but there's curators and these curators they bring in these pieces these 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 uh, expensive pieces you know these famous pieces or whatever they bring them in and they place them in the in in the spaces very with purpose yeah. amen and why does this matter you maybe pastor Jeff I don't even like art that's okay because I'm, I'm, I'm bringing it to a point of understanding but the sculpture specifically was placed in this one spot that when you got to this one angle and you looked you didn't just see the work of art that was before you but you saw through the rooms into a third room over and you see through these corridors now one of the things that you're visualizing now you're taking in the architecture and that was interesting mm -hmm. but not just the architecture directly across and the other side of three rooms over was this painting and I had stopped at this painting maybe an hour or maybe a half hour before and I said oh I think this is kind of interesting but now I'm looking through this sculpture and it kind of frames this painting in a very specific way and it gave me a perspective that I didn't see in that painting before and actually I almost skipped going in that room and if I had skipped going in that room I would have never had that perspective but when I saw that I thought man there's some genius to this layout that there's some thought that went into this and see that's kind of in the sculpture was not a sculpture it wasn't like it was a you know David you know you know whatever it is like it wasn't like it was a perfectly carved it was an abstract sculpture which a lot of people will even hate abstract art because they'll be, what's the purpose of that? But then when you get into a, 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 an environment like that and you see it, you're like, oh, now I'm starting to see different aspects of different things. What are we talking about? We're talking about perspective. Yeah. Amen. Amen. If you know, uh, one of the things that the Lord has done when he designed the earth is he designed it with amazing perspective. You don't like abstract, but God designed abstract. Yeah. He made things not make sense sometimes. I mean, you think about a duck-billed platypus, it makes no sense. That's parts of all kinds of different creatures and doesn't behave like any of them, does its own thing, and it's, it completely would throw people off. And if, if you don't believe me, just study it out. Sometimes it's a crazy animal, but God made that. That's an abstract, that's as close to a Picasso as nature probably got, or maybe that's where Picasso drew some of his inspiration from. But um, the, the point that I'm trying to make is perspective matters, and counsel brings perspective. If we don't receive counsel, we only have one perspective, and that's ours. And that perspective is, is at, uh, uh, at, at in danger of being uh, defective or infected 
it, it's, it's, it's in danger of being manipulated by your desire. Why? Because your perspective will be manipulated by your desire. Why do I seek counsel? Because I want to see beyond my desire. I want to see truth. Truth never lines up with your desire. I said truth never lines up with your desire. Your desire does not equate to truth. Ever. It doesn't. It just doesn't. Now your desire can be molded into truth. And then it can become truth. But your desire in of itself does not equate to that. Why is it that way? Because God designed it that way. God designed us to need counsel. He designed us to need counsel. And then he gave us the ability to have counsel. But believers that refuse counsel are fools. They reject what God wants to do. They're rejecting the very submission to to, to the things that God, and really what it is, it's not submission to man, it's submission to God. When, you, when somebody won't seek counsel, what they're doing is they're, they're, saying, they're saying, I'm rejecting what God has done. I'm rejecting what God's word says. And this, my friends, causes more trouble in the local church than I could even begin to express to you. It's something I have seen over and over in 10 years since I've pastored. And I've seen it even before when I would assist my pastor. The, 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 now, listen, what I'm telling you is that I'm not saying to counsel with everybody and anybody. I'm saying that we need to find those places where we get good counsel on the things that we need, and we need to hold to that. And not just necessarily, even somebody gave you good counsel once, doesn't mean they're going to give you good counsel every time. But the sheer willingness to accept and receive counsel, that willingness, praise the Lord, is the only thing that is going get, to get you, get you any help. My brother Joel back here is a counselor. I hope you don't mind me saying it. Is that right? Is that, 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 that's what you are. Uh, if you help anybody, is it going to be the ones that don't show up? Or is it going to be the ones that show up? It first starts with the ones that have to at least show up. Yeah. Right? That's what's necessary. They at least have to be there to receive the counsel. Now, I believe Joel's a wise counselor. Praise God. But uh, so when people come to him, I believe they're going to get help is what I'm saying uh, in, in the things that he can help them with. But he could probably tell you that even though he could counsel people in certain areas, there's certain areas he probably couldn't counsel them in. And he might know another counselor. He said, you know what? You, you might say, you might be better over here. Well, see, as Christians, as believers, we need to understand this. We need to understand that this isn't just a worldly concept. It is a worldly concept, but it's a worldly concept because God built the world with that conceived inside of it. And so when we draw out from these truths, these are very important to us. Amen? But we get arrogant when we think we don't need it. We get arrogant when we think, well, I, I, you, know, you know, the whole My Way or the Highway. I used to love that song. I love the version Elvis sang, not the version as much Frank Sinatra sang, My Way. You remember that song? And it sounds great. It's got a real good sound to it, and it flows, and you like to sing it, sing it out loud. And, and it's a great, it empowers us, but it empowers us to foolishness. Yeah. Look at the end of Elvis. Yeah. I mean, I loved Elvis. I loved his singing. I loved his ability. I, I, I hope he's in heaven. But it didn't end well for the man because he did it his way. He didn't seek wise counsel. And he knew the Lord. That's the sad thing. I stood in Graceland and I looked, I walked around Graceland and I got to this place and I was amazed. I love this. It was my favorite part of all of Graceland. They had his Bible laid open. 
And it was, I can't remember what page it was laid open to. I might have taken a picture of it. But I noticed that there was notes in there. He knew the Lord. Somebody does it. You know, there's a lot of people that have Bibles that just don't get open much. Yeah. And that's one form of religiousness. But then there's this other form where you take notes inside of it. Yeah. Why? That means that, that something's speaking to you inside of there. God is speaking to you. Yeah. You're taking counsel. See, a lot of people don't even open it. They get no counsel. Right. Amen? Yeah. Well, praise God. Hallelujah. Uh, but it, it, I, it, you saw it, like you could see, and I think I even could read some of the notes if I remember correctly. I don't remember what they were. Praise the Lord. But wise men that heed counsel does not just apply to sheep. It doesn't just apply to people sitting in the pews or the seats. It applies to pastors as well. It applies to ministers and prophets and, and evangelists and, 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 and apostles. It applies to everybody. There's no human that is exempt from the word of God. You don't get an exemption card because you've arrived at a certain level. Maybe Jesus as a human was exempt from the word of God, but he was the word of God. So in a way, he wasn't exempt. Amen? And so when you understand that, no, none of us are exempt from this. There's no place where they get to the place where they're, where they're exempt from receiving wise counsel. Amen? I want you to turn with me to Jonah. Hallelujah. Now, I'm not going to tell you how to get there because I have a tab. I put it in there because I couldn't find it earlier. Amen? Jonah's a short book, and it's tucked in there in places you probably don't go very often. Most people don't, amen? But, you know, when I was seeking this, when I was thinking about this, uh, when I was meditating on, on this message, and, uh, I, you know, the message wasn't put together yet, obviously, um, all of a sudden, in my spirit, it was like Jonah going to Nineveh. Excuse me. And I remembered, I remembered that story. Now, Jonah isn't a book of the Bible we go to very often. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's definitely good. All, all the scripture is good for teaching. But we're going to read the whole uh, third chapter of Jonah here, which isn't very long, but... Um, this is what the... Uh, um, th this is now, now, if you remember correctly, if you, actually, if you start... Um, it, don't go there, but uh, in... Uh, Verse 2 of chapter 1, it says, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. That was the Lord talking to the prophet Jonah. And of course, we know the story, right? Jonah didn't want to go. For whatever reason, you know why he didn't want to go? He didn't want to go because he didn't think the people would take him favorably. Uh, if I can tell you, I can, I can uh, relate to Jonah, like maybe more than many biblical characters, because that's exactly, Lord, do you really want me to preach on this? Do you really want me to say this to that person? Or I'm sitting before somebody and they're saying something to me and I know what I have to say to them, I would sooner be thrown into the sea and be swallowed by a whale than to have to sit there in a conversation sometimes, you understand. But I, I, I get this. So we pick it up in verse 3 here. Finally, Jonah's going to listen, right? God, we'll just say that God was overly convincing. It says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Then the, then the people of Nineveh believed in God. Now, I'm just going to throw in, I can't prove this, but I'm going to throw it out there as an idea. Probably Jonah had more than just that conversation. 
and probably there was more understanding. But you know, this has given us kind of a, 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 a condensed version of that, right? Praise the Lord. So they believed in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. How can we actually assume that? We could assume that because of this. Number one, they were in exceeding sin. They were in sin that was so bad that God was looking to destroy the city. There's a lot of cities that are very bad today that God hasn't destroyed yet. So I'm just saying they were doing some stuff that's pretty bad. People don't generally just by one word overturn that. You know, maybe there was something that was going on there, but whatever. Praise the Lord. Uh, so when the word reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ashes. He issued a proclamation, and it said, In Nineveh, by decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water, but both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth and let man, uh, men call on God earnestly that each one may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows, God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Amen. Many times, people don't even realize their own depravity. And this is just a truth. You look and see how these people turn, and it was favorable. I mean, you would want to, uh, uh, to be, if, a, if you were in sin, you would want to be a Nineveh type of person, right? This was a wicked city. They realized their sin, and they were willing to turn, right? But there's a lot of times people just don't realize that. Uh, it was their sin and then their inability to hear God that was leading them toward the death, the destruction. It, the sin did it. But it wasn't just their sin. It was their inability. to. Do you think that God didn't try to reach these people on his own? God is always speaking to his people. He's always trying to get people to turn. He's always, even people that are, are not his people, he's trying to get them to turn. Why? Because God so loved the world that he gave his only son. This is why he did it, because he loves the world. And so he's always trying to reach them in this way or that way. He's always trying to reach you in this way or that way. He's always trying to reach me in this way or that way. But if we won't hear counsel, we miss what we can't see. And see, if Nineveh would not have heard counsel, if they would not have received the prophet, Nineveh would have been destroyed by God. Just like Sodom and just like Gomorrah. But what's the difference? What's the lessons that we take away? The lessons that we take away from this is that we should not get so caught up in our way that we can't see another. We, it doesn't matter what it is. I've seen the best of Christians, the best of Christians, the most faithful of Christians, get caught up in what they deemed as religious, as what they deemed as righteous. I've seen them do it. This is, I've seen people do it. You can get on YouTube and see people doing it all the time. That they, they present us, it's, it's the, the best that they know, and this is right. And yet they miss God in doing it. And one of the reasons is because they won't ever hear counsel. I remember when I worked in the factory, I would have people that would come in at different times. I remember this one young man that he came in at this one time. 
and I remember sitting down and talking with him and, and I found out he was a Christian and that always excited me back in the day. Well, it always excites me when I find out someone's a Christian, you know, and I always, always want to talk with them like, hey, we're on the same team, you know. Like, let, let's have a good conversation about this because you don't always get good conversations. And I remember him sitting there and everything I was talking about, he just, just flat out rejected. Just flat out rejected. It didn't flat out reject it because I didn't make any sense. He flat out rejected because it wasn't what his religion was. Now, what my religion was was a lot of wrong stuff too. But what I'm saying is there was not even an open door for conversation. Right. And what that did to us was it, it created a barrier that just wasn't, it was never going to be taught anything except for by one person. Now, in some respects that that can be good. But in a lot of respects that can be wrong as well. Amen? Yeah. See, so often we want God to bless us and God wants to bless us. We want God to do something in our life on our behalf. And God wants to do something in our life on our behalf. But we hinder that because what we do is we build this wall of self. This wall of it's about me and mine. It's not about the greater picture. They don't think about that. It's about what I think and what we think. And it's our team and not yours. And unfortunately, this has gotten into the church in such a way, to such a great level, that people in the church don't even know how to really, truly fellowship anymore. We should never fellowship, or we should never have to fellowship based on just what we like, but based on our commonality between what we are. And what I'm talking about in fellowship is not that we just get together and that we, uh, you know, have coffee or whatever, but it's, it's, it's that, we can, that we can fellowship together in a way to be effective in the world. That if I said, if I picked out two random people in here and I said, go out on the street and minister them because this is what the word of the Lord is saying, that you could do that. But you know what you see too often in the church? Well, I don't really like their personality. I don't really like this person. I don't, I don't jive with this person. So I don't even want to be near them. I'll just stay over here in my clique. I'll, I'll build up in, my, in, in, in mine and the, the, the type of people that are like me. Amen. But that's not what God has called the local church to be. God has called the local church to be differences, different parts, to come together. See, that's like the tires on the car thinking they don't need the engine. Or the engine thinking they don't need the tire. That's exactly what that is. Engine and tires come from two totally different places. Josh could probably tell you that it's probably different to work on both. Am I right? Different personalities, man. Those engines and those tires. But they're both necessary to go down the road. And it's the same thing with the local church. The reason the local church doesn't do more is because the people don't understand. And when I mean the people, I mean all the people, including the ministers. I'm not excluding one person from it. But the people don't understand. The churches that do something, those are churches that get what I'm talking about. They get that maybe all the pieces don't always fit or don't seem to fit, but they all have a part. Praise God. This is why my wife and I... You know, one of the things that we endeavor to do as pastors is we endeavor to create an environment where that can at least be um, realized. Now, we're not perfect at it. We don't know how to do it. I don't know how to make people do this or do that. If, if, I, if I knew how to do that, I'd probably be a much better pastor, but I don't know how to do that. And so we, we do the best that we can. But I'm not saying that we're perfect in it either. But what I'm saying is, is we have to realize this. We have to realize the importance of, 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 of counsel being outside of what we know, seeing something different, and being okay with doing something different. Because a lot of people, you know, we think, oh, if we, if we just do this big great thing out there, this, we'll never do great things if we don't do the little things well. 
as people of God, as people in your life. What are you going to do well in your life if you can't do the little things? I mean, if you can't get up, brush your teeth, and, and, and take a, you know, a shower, and, and, and shave, and, you know, or whatever you got to do. Like, if you, don't, if you can't just do that, if you can't feed yourself, how are you going to go out there and, and, and be a blessing to others? How are you going to feed the sheep, so to speak, if you can't feed yourself? If, some, if, you, can't, if you can't even take wise counsel yourself, how are you going to ever go out there and win the loss? You're not going to do it. It's not going to happen because if you, can't, if you can't even do the fundamental things as a Christian, why do I bring this up? This isn't stuff that is, in, that is impossible for us to do. This is the stuff we need to focus on. How do, we, how do I be better at doing what I, uh, what's in my heart or what's, 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 what, where God has placed me? One of the things that I see often as I see Christians in general, I see Christians in general, again, not just in our churches or whatever, but in general, going out and trying to do this and trying to do that, but doing nothing together. They're, they're not creating anything. They're not building what God, like we can't build everything on our own. It's an impossibility. We have to do it together. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Turn with me to um, Luke 5. Luke 5. Verse 37. It was funny because long before I even knew I was going to minister this message, um, it was just recently though that the Lord brought me to these scriptures and I saw something I had never seen before. I guess I never thought about it this way. Maybe I'm going to say this and you're going to think, oh, that was, that's basic. But, uh, but I never saw it that way before verses 37 through 39, and it says, And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will, be, it will be spilled out, and the skins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, wishes for new, for he says the old is good enough. Amen. Um. What I didn't realize is that this is a metaphor for, like, this is, this is a concept of, of, of God infiltrating our life and filling our lives. You know, the Holy Spirit is used, new wine sometimes is the, the expression, um, you, you know, talk about filling us, you know, wine is used a lot in, the, in, the, in those metaphors in, the, in Scripture, and a lot speaking of the, the, the Spirit. And that's exactly what this is talking about. And this is the thing. We aren't effective not filled with the Spirit. Jesus knew this. This is why he died for us. He died so we could be filled with the Spirit. Because in being filled with the Spirit, then we could accomplish what God wants us to do. The problem is, is we, we've, been, we've been born again, but we've remained old wineskins. And the Spirit can't fill us because we won't think differently. Because we won't hear differently. Because we just are going to be the way that we are. Because that's the way that I am. And we don't become pliable, so to speak. And what, I love what it says in verse 39 there. It says, And no one after drinking old wine wishes for new, for he says the old is good enough. This is the equivalent of a person sitting there saying, I was doing all right the way I was. The way, the, the way we've done things, that, that was good enough. There, you know how many churches have become old wineskins? The way we do things is good enough. This is fine for us. We don't need nothing new. Do you know how many new churches that started in excitement, that started in, in, in fervor, that started in, in, in the, uh, the direction of the Holy Spirit have become old wineskins 
because they just dry up. They just dry out. You know, people will be like, they, they, they don't think, well, they, there might be people even to get, as they go through the Christian walk and they're, and they're like, ah, you know, it's just not exciting anymore or something like that or just this or that. People always like to look at someone else, but never inwardly. Am I doing everything I possibly can to ensure that the move of the Spirit is something that flows easy in this place? I'm not looking at someone else is what I'm talking about. Am I doing it? Lord, am I being all that I can? And see, that's asking yourself and that's asking God and those things are good. But the Bible tells us that the wise man seeks counsel. Seeks someone to say, someone to, you know, I, I wrote this down uh, last week, I think it was. And I didn't even know that it would be part of this message until the second. Um, my wife was talking about something. And she was talking about being greater in the least, I think, and faithful and much and stuff like this. And I thought, and it came to me just like this. Do you know who determines whether you're faithful in the least? It's not you. You don't get to sit there and say, oh, I've been faithful here. If you're serving someone, that person does or God does. If you're helping someone, you don't get to, I don't get to say I'm a good husband. She gets to. And she's the only one. She's the only one that gets to say that. I don't get to say that. Why do I get to say I'm a good husband? Because in my mind I am. Right? That I'm just doing everything perfect. But she's the one. And you understand this stuff can be corrupted. So I'm not saying in every situation, you know. Obviously if you had a, if you had a leader that is a narcissist that is, you know, full of themselves and stuff like that, you're never going to please them. And so they're never gonna, you're never going to be good enough for them. You know, I understand that because I understand it. Amen? Because I've been there. I know what it's like. I know what it's like to be driven by somebody who you'll never make happy. And that's a different kind of situation. That's not what I'm talking about. But if you're in the right place, the place that you need to be, praise God. Who can tell your faithfulness? It's the ones you serve. The ones that you, that, that, that you like if you serve a meal, you can sit there. I've seen so many people that have cooked things. I could give you examples. I'm not going to because I don't want to hurt people. Not in here. Nobody in here. Praise the Lord. But there's examples of people that, that they think, man, I'm just, I just can do this so well. Take a taste test. They don't get to determine that. The, the people eating it do. You know, if, and, and that's the point that I'm trying to make. Is like we, we think that we, oh, I'm, surely I have been faithful. Surely I'm the one who, uh, who, who has made it. But what is the one... Who, who you've served, say about that. First and foremost, the Lord. Yeah. Amen. Praise God. It's so easy to live the life the way that we live it. We might not think it is. You might struggle through life. But a lot of people, it's easier for them. Brothers and sisters, I'm, I'm getting revelation of this in my own life. And this is why I'm preaching the message. It's easy for me to, to struggle in life because that's what I've been accustomed to. I know how to struggle in life. You know how to struggle in life. It's easy to just keep going that way, isn't it? You might not think it's easy. It might, your life might not be easy. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying it's easy to stay complacent in the place that you are because it's what you know. It's harder to break out because it would cost you something. It could cost you the fear of the unknown. It could cost you many other things. It could cost you friends. It could cost you family. Hallelujah. It could cost you your church. All these things are true. We, we, we have to understand it's easy for us to live the life the way that we live it. 
But that's exactly how you become an old wineskin. That's why little old, uh, we'll just say church people, sometimes can be the driest, most unchristian people in the world. I only say that because I had a conversation this week that reflected on some of that. But that's why. And you know it's true. Old wineskins. Because somewhere they lost that, that thing that made them pliable. That love of the Holy Spirit, that, that drive of, uh, of God, that freshness, that renewing that God wants to do on the inside of us. Why do we lose that? We lose it because we dry up. Because we don't stay pliable. We don't stay the vessel that God wants to use. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. When we live the life that we've always lived, we're going to be the people that we always were. And if we change that so much to a point and we still remain in that place, then we still stay the people that we always were. We don't progress outside of that. And it's easy as church people to sit in church week in and week out, and this is just what we do. This is why people sometimes, you know, there's never any excitement because it's just what it is. You know, we're just going to come, we're going to hear a message or whatever. It's another chore. It's another thing that we do. But is that really what we're doing? Because if that's all that we're, we're really doing, we might as well start staying home and make this easier on all of us. Because if we show up because we're being faithful to show up, but we're not, we're not doing something with it, we're not allowing it to change who we are, we're not allowing it to be, we're, we're, we're seeking our own counsel, this is just the way that it is, this is just what we're going to be but never desire any kind of change? I can't pass our churches like that. I'm not saying we are, but we're in danger of being that. If we're not, we're in danger of being it. And I believe that it's time for, for, I believe it's time for us to recognize and to look at that and to keep that at the forefront of our mind. Are we people that are truly after what God wants or are we just sitting around doing the thing that we always do? Now, I'm not saying we have to run any program. Maybe what God wants is just us to sit here week in and week out and do nothing but hear the word and speak to people once in a while, do just what we've been doing. Maybe that's all what God wants us to do. But if that's what God wants us to do, then we need to do it with a different kind of life in us. We need to do it with a, a certain expectancy that God is always there waiting and maybe he'll tell us to do something different at any given moment. But God, if this is what you want me to do, I'm content with that. He may keep this church this size for the rest of our lives and just say, remain faithful at doing that. That may be fine, he may, or he may do that, and that's fine if he does that, but if he does that, we at least have to accept that and be okay with that and know that within us and, and be fired up about that, excited for what God is doing in the few of us or in the great of us, whatever it is. Amen? See, it's not always about doing more. It's about doing, it's what's doing what's pleasing to him. And I fear what's happening in churches, especially in the United States, is that people are losing this, this fervor for God. That they're losing this, this, this heart for the Holy Spirit to, to be present with them. This, this desire to be with God. Yeah, people want to be saved because they don't want to go to hell. But they don't want to be saved because they want to be with God. I mean, uh, the, the Lord was dealing with my son on this, uh, what, a week or two ago? Or recently. Was dealing with it. He was telling us about it. It was tears. 
Hope you don't mind me telling it. You Christ do. He was telling us with tears. Because you could just, and it was amazing to me because it was just see the Lord so moved, uh, so moved on him. You know, I had this example too. I, and I want to share it now because it just seems right in the minutes we have left. That's all the scripture we're going to go to today. Uh, the other day, now typically it's my job to make the bed because my wife's the first one up and out of the house on the second one. And so by default, I'm the one that has to make the bed. And, um, and she's not real. She doesn't love it when she comes home and the bed's not made. Every once in a while, the bed doesn't get made for whatever reason. Maybe I was lazy, maybe I got distracted, whatever. But the other day, uh, but, but I, I like to make sure that the bed's made, especially when she gets home. Now, I've learned that it's right and good that the bed be made. It, it actually uh, blesses me a little bit when I walk into my bedroom and the bed's made. It's order, it's not chaos, amen? And I believe that there's something to that. But uh, the other day, I, I was, you know, I got up early and I, uh, or got up when I got up and I went and did some studying, and then I went and worked. I was project-minded, so I went and worked on a project, and I worked on the project most of the rest of the day. And I came in about 2.30, 2, 2.30, somewhere in there. And I came into the house, and I sat down. I was kind of tired. I didn't even eat lunch yet, so I think I grabbed a quick bite to eat or something like that. And then I was like, oh, I need to go do something. And so I went to the bedroom, and as I went in there, I was like, the bed's not made, and she's going to be home in like 15 minutes. And I had this instant inside me, I had this instant like, almost like, uh, like I was going to get in trouble. Now she wasn't going to really yell at me or anything, but I didn't even want her being disappointed, you know what I mean? And so I had this instant, like I better get this, and almost a little bit of a freak out moment that I wouldn't be able to get it made fast enough before she came in. Now that's foolish because even if she was just pulling in the driveway, I had enough time to make the bed. It doesn't take that much time, but you know sometimes these tasks are bigger in our minds, right? And so I did that, and... And I, and I made it, and typically when I make the bed, I, I feel a little bit of sense of accomplishment. And I know that might sound foolish, but it's one of those things, it's one of those markers in my day that I use to help me do other stuff, the hard stuff, right? Because making the bed's easy. But I've accomplished something. And I learned that from a greater source at one point. But at any rate, I did this, and I didn't have that same sense of accomplishment. I couldn't quite know what it was. I didn't, and not, not that it was a big thing. I didn't spend a lot of time dwelling on it, but I, I didn't know, quite know what was going on. And then... The Lord showed me something in this illustration. See, a lot of times we'll do things because we know that someone's going to see. Or we know that he's going to see, he's going to show up. But God doesn't want us just doing things to stay out of trouble. He wants us to do things because we love him, because we care for him. And if our tasks, the things that are important for us to do in life, if you make your better not, I'm not talking about that now. But the things, the important things that we do in life, if we just did them because, oh, I should have gotten this done, so now i got to catch up and get it done. See, that's not the way. But a lot of Christians, and this is what a lot of Americans do, so a lot of Christian American Christians live their faith walk this way. They show up, and they try to get done in that last minute, you know, something to make it look like they're spiritual. But the truth of the matter is they haven't been prepared all along. God wants the heart of the one who wants to be right, that had made the bed just because, uh, metaphorically speaking, had made the bed because it was right to make the bed, because it was right to end the chaos, not because someone was going to come home and see it and be upset. And the same thing is when we, you know, we even thought, and that's what he was talking about when he was, like how many people, they're trying to stay out of hell, but they don't give a rip about being in the presence of God. They, they don't realize that the, the, that the true loss 
is not punishment in hell. The true loss is not having God's presence. When was the last time that the church thought of that? What are we doing? What are our programs for? Why do we, why do we even assemble together? Do we assemble together because we're seeking God? Or do we assemble together because it's what Christians do? And it gets us our brownie points. Maybe if I do it enough, you know, I'll be all right to go to heaven. It's what Christians do. Wherever it is. Do I witness to people because it's, it's what Christians do? Or because I realize the connection with God? You see, that's the thing. That's why sin becomes a thing for a true born-again believer with real faith becomes a thing that's like, I don't want to sin because it's displeasing to him. I don't want to not want to sin because I'm going to get in trouble. You know, and there's a lot of people that just live their life just not sinning. See, this is why I don't do, this is why I don't do bad things because I don't just want to get in trouble. I, 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 I do it because I, I, I realize, or hopefully I do it because I realize that it hurts him. That it separates me from him. Sin separates me from God. Even with the blood of Jesus, it causes, even if it, you, you understand those times when you've sinned and you know that you're forgiven because you confess the sin, but there's something on the inside of you that still doesn't feel comfortable just going before God, even though he said it was okay. See, we don't ever think about that with sin. We don't think, well, ugh, I don't want to feel separate from God. I'm brothers and sisters, I'm talking to myself too. Amen. None of us are exempt from this, but if we don't watch these things, if we, if we allow ourselves to just become dry and stale, then that's exactly what we be, will be. You can be the most pliable, spirit-filled Christian in the least pliable, sp least spirit-filled church if God has put you there. And you can be a light and a refreshing in that place. You can be a catalyst or a conduit in that place to bring in the very presence of God. One person can do that in any place. That's why I tell people all the time, know where you're supposed to be. I'm way over the time. I thought I was going to end early. Uh, way over the time, but you, you know, what are we being? Like, know where we're called to be, be there, and then be what we're supposed to be there. And stop making excuses for why we're not. Amen?